Are you ready? Welcome everybody to Wrestling with the War! It's BC Hunter back once again to wrestle with the war. And boy, I am not going in unarmed this week because uh, although Jay Myers is still uh, handling business on the other fronts, uh, we, we have brought in a new recruit, but he's an, he's an old recruit. When I say old recruit, I don't mean by age. I mean, he's a, he's a veteran of this podcast. And uh, it's our good friend, Ted, the hillbilly heel from the heel truth. Ted, how you doing, my friend? Doing good, doing good. Pleasure to be here, Mr. BC. Well, it's an honor to have you. I was so excited when you when we were talking and you said, oh, well, you know, if you ever need somebody to watch these these old school uh, episodes with you, I'll, I'll feel free to join in because uh, it's always fun to bring somebody else on, especially who lived through it. Because I'm yeah, realizing yeah. We, we talked about there's a lot of people listening to this that never lived through it. I, I did a podcast. No, no. <laughs> with the guys from top of the cage um the other day and uh when we were talking yeah. and i realized oh god they were they were like three when this was going yeah on. <laughs> so, that was a great episode by the way i listened that that was funny that was funny oh man appreciate it. those guys are great uh have, have you ever hooked up with them yet uh no but well you know we've we've messaged a little bit and they always uh would tag used to tag me uh in their stuff because yep. they have a great show. They do a lot of fantasy booking, a lot yep. of, uh, you know, indie guests from, uh, there in the Northeast and stuff like that. So they've got a real good show. Yeah, for sure. So that was, that was a fun episode and a good time. Just talking about the whole modern product and stuff, but, uh, yeah, you realize sometimes I feel a little decrepit. I was, I was actually on, I'll give a shout out to, uh, before we get going, I was on Tino's time on YouTube, uh, this past weekend. Oh. Uh, doing a live stream and we did a live watch along of wrestlemania 18 one of the one of the great wrestlemanias in history and of course you jumped in in the chat for a little while and you were able to help me out with some iron anderson knowledge as usual there but uh but uh tino <laughs> when we first got on, i don't think you're on there at this point but one of his regular viewers uh jumped on and got in the chat and they said hey tino who's the guy with you is that your dad <laughs> i saw that i did see that yeah Oh God! I got to start dyeing the beard. I think that's what's going on. <laughs> oh man, what did you think of WrestleMania 18? Was that one of your better ones, more enjoyable ones? What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I thought that was a good one. I mean, you know, there was a, a lot of stuff there. Um, like I said, you know, um, uh, I guess uh, being a little biased back in the day. Um, you know, I was really glad for Flair because, you know, he went through a little dry spell there. And, uh, you yep. know, when you've heard the, the documentaries and the interviews that uh, I think they asked Taker, Flair and somebody else, I forget who was out. And he's like, no, I want Flair, you know, because yep. this might be the only chance I get. And uh, it turned out to be a great match. And you got to see Orn one last time do the spine buster. And, and you know, and I remember watching it and you know like, like i've said on my show you you want that one percent down it's like yes surely flair's not gonna 
take the streak. But there for a moment, I was like, oh, God, Flair's going to be the one. You know, just for a yep. brief second, I, I bought it. So, yeah, it was great. I would venture to guess, actually, I had more than 1% doubt because uh, they did such a <laughs> – they did such a great job with them. It was such a good match. I would, uh, we were talking on there. I would put it up there aside from obviously the, the Shawn Michaels matches and the triple H matches, which were classics. I would put that up there with probably one of <coughs> undertaker's best WrestleMania matches. I mean, I know he's had some stinker opponents, but that was a great match. And then Arn just jumping in with that spine, but I still love watching that yeah. spine buster. And the other thing I pointed out, I love, love, love how Earn sells. Like the whole, I love grabbing the top rope, dropping to the knee and bouncing up, kind of like, uh, like he just got, yeah. you know, knocked woozy and he's fighting to stay up. Like, yeah. I, God, I wish people would watch this selling and, and do a bit more of it these days. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's your guy. So I don't need to convince you on that. No. <laughs> So, Ted, uh, I appreciate you coming on because uh, we're tackling 1995 WWF and WCW here. And as uh, uh, as you've been listening to our to our episodes and you're following on, so you got a good idea of what's happening in, in, at this oh, yeah. time. But as you're coming into, uh, we're going to start off with talking about Survivor Series, and we'll talk about the follow up Raw Nitro from that uh, for this episode. But as you're coming into this uh, watching the Survivor Series. What was your feeling going into the pay-per-view? Because um, where I've been trying to listen to you guys, and I'm, I was trying to remember, uh, you know, doing those mental gymnastics of trying to remember exactly 95 and trying to remember. And as you guys have pointed out, it was, okay, you still got some of the cartoony type characters in, in the WWF, you know. Mm-hmm. And getting up to it, um, I did think they were, you know, doing a pretty good job with the story between Brett and Diesel. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, you've, you've got all this other stuff going into it with uh, with Sid and uh, uh, Sean and uh, some of that. So um, and then I was trying to remember uh, because, you know, I, I guess maybe I have a soft spot, but I do like some of you know, those old survivor series where you just got random teams. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just like that. You've got this team against this team, you know, like as, as you get ready to go into the first match, the underdogs and yes. uh, what, you know, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, just calling themselves a random name. So uh, uh, I was looking forward to it, uh, yeah. you know, cause, but to be honest, after I rewatched it, I'd forgot half of it about the mm-hmm. only thing I'd really remembered was, uh, uh, Brett and Diesel. That was the only thing that I could remember until I rewatched it. And I was like, "Oh, that happened." Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, this was a notable Survivor Series for a few different things that we'll talk about throughout the episode um, as they happen. But right off the get go, so we'll start. We'll paint the picture. We are, this is November nineteenth of nineteen ninety five. Uh, we're in Landover, Maryland, which is basically like a suburb of, of Washington D.C. type of thing. Um, home of the Washington Capitals, so of course there's a whole political theme to this uh, to this event, and <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit. But it, boy, is it ever a timestamp on that period what they do with this? <laughs> yeah. One of the first notable things was uh, because smoking guns weren't on this card, and uh, yeah. the reason why is because they had a dark match. And do you know who they had that dark match with? No, I did not read that. They had a dark match with Public Enemy. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So were you an ECW fan, by the way? Did you or did you watch ECW? Yeah, yeah. I, so it was a little bit later. I, we didn't have it on and and I I kept up with bits and pieces and magazine and stuff. And then it was later on when um you know I had to go back and watch a lot of it because we just didn't get it where I was at. So I I missed a lot and had to go back and try to catch up. Yeah, and I and I was pretty much the same. We didn't have it here either, so I, I eventually played catch up with it. You would see stuff in the magazines and stuff like that, but other than that, I wasn't too familiar. But until like they started doing that crossover with WWF, and then then you started to realize who these guys were. But this is very interesting that they fought Public Enemy because this is what's the cause of that infamous match with the Acolytes, where they or I don't know if they were the APA yeah. at that time, but where they absolutely got destroyed by them as a bit of a punishment. So the reason why is because this was a tryout match for the WWF at this time. And of course, we find out years later that Vince was actually working with Paul Heyman and financing them a bit and keeping them afloat as almost a feeder system to the WWF. We didn't know that at the time, but now it's quite obvious as we see who went to the WWF. But so they had a bit of a tryout match. But at the same time, they were negotiating kind of behind the scenes with WCW. And of course, at this point, yeah. as you'll hear on the on the Nitro episode, because Bischoff is just way open about putting down the WWF, that, of course, they're competing at this time and, and trying to grab as much uh, away from each other as possible. So Public Enemy decided to go to WCW. They had their run there. I don't know if I call it a glorious run. And then they eventually come back to <laughs> WWF. And... And they're set up with the old APA to, uh, I guess, take their licking for um, choosing yeah. WCW over WWF. So interesting how that was just this random dark match. And that's what it caused that many years later. But yeah, we start off with a big surprise to get going. Mr. Perfect comes out the mm-hmm. uh, comes out the curtain. I think he'd been away from the WWF since 94, I believe, possibly WrestleMania was his last appearance when he was the guest referee for the... Uh, was it the Luger Yokozuna match? I think is is what it was at WrestleMania mm-hmm. ten, when he had those beautiful uh, <laughs> uh, Zubas with the stripes on the black and white stripes. Yeah. so it was quite the interesting open. But so Mr. Perfect is joining uh, Vince and Jr. on commentary, and God, what a relief it is to have Jr. on commentary. It just brings a little bit more professionalism to it, as opposed to not that I hate Vince, but uh, Jr. always just makes it feel real, like a real sport. Yeah. Uh, I will say that was one thing that I noticed because, you know, back in those days, it was like Vince was trying to do, you know, if it was Vince and Ventura or Vince and Jerry Lawler, you know, Vince is trying to do the play by play. And JR is, I guess, trying to do color commentary or something to add in. But it was like, you know, Vince is just like, uh, uh, you know, he hits him, you know, uh, a sledgehammer fist, you know, there's no, and then, and then JR will try to get in there and tell you what the move might've been, you know, and some yes. of that. So it was, yeah. it was very interesting. And then of course, JR would throw his little facts in there, like some of the sports, yeah. you know, the guys that actually played some football and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting to hear that. And then of course, what'd you think of perfect commentary on the night? How'd you feel about it? I think it was okay. Um, I think he was trying to figure out where he fit in, you know, and he was trying to get in there and especially with it being a three man booth, 
Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of times I feel like he hesitated, like yeah. he didn't know if he was supposed to interrupt or go ahead and talk or not. So I think he was trying to get his feet wet. Yes. And uh, it felt like he was trying to put himself over a little bit too much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything was about him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how many different times can you say something was not perfect? Or whatever? Yeah. Oh man, but it felt it felt very late eighties um, commentary as opposed to what what point we're at, especially when you had Jr. on the other side who's just bringing that realism to it. But all right, so you mentioned earlier our first match that we had was the underdog, so that was a team of Marty Janetti, uh, Bob Holly, who is uh, Bob Sparky Plug Holly at this point, yeah, uh, Hakushi and Barry Horowitz, so the the weird best friend duo that we had, and. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, Barry Horowitz, who's actually got a win under his belt, thanks to his opponents, the the Body Donnas, uh, Skip wannabe uh, Body Donna, Rad Radford, uh, Tom yeah. Pritchard, who was at that time a heavenly body, but eventually would become a Body Donna as, as Zip. And then uh, yeah. the one, two, three kid who uh, was a surprise partner after he just turned heel on Razor Ramon in the previous episode of Raw. And uh, it sounds like Ted DiBiase bought his way into the... Uh, into the match. So uh, we won't like go move or move or play by play on this, but just some of the highlights that I'll talk about one Sonny doing the introduction of the team, which is so annoying as she's coming down to the, uh, coming down to ring, yeah. uh, announce everybody. And, but that's her job, right? That's what she was. And uh, I mean, we've got the first, and I forgot this was early days of Sonny and Skip, right? I feel like the body Donna's were like from 1993, 94, but really this is the beginning of the body Donna situation. I will say about this match, Two people that were impressive with this, Hakushi, of course. And I was always a big fan of Hakushi. Loved yeah. his work. But Rad Radford got a little bit of shine in this match, surprisingly, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, he got a lot of offense in and was doing there. And uh, I thought, yeah, it was because uh, I'd forgot, you know, I'd even forgot, you know, I was Rad Radford. And then it, you know, and it was like, oh, yeah, Vince loves uh, the, um, we call it the alliteration. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I do. I do that hillbilly hill. So, I mean, I can't say nothing about it, but you know, still <laughs> Rad Radford. So yeah, it was. And, uh, and then even uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, you know, now I will say I am biased. I did used to love the heavenly bodies. So, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. but uh, you know, he was just doing his, his solid work. Like he's always done, you know, he's going to go good, in there. Good and, hand. We were just missing Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey, though. We needed him in this yeah. match. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to uh, Kevin Rogue, who loves him some Gigolo Jimmy. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> the old Gigolo. Uh, so, yeah. So, we we had some some pretty good action when we had Hakushi in there, especially. He did some very impressive maneuvers. I know a lot of people are, especially nowadays, are crazy about the Japanese wrestlers, but it, they were more of an anomaly uh, back then. Yeah. We weren't seeing as much as that, but... Out of, I'm going to give you a quick quiz here. Out of these three wrestlers, rate them one through three. Who would you who would you put on top? Who would you put on bottom? Who would you put in the middle? So it's Hakushi, the Great Kabuki, and the Great Muda. Uh, I would put Muda number one. Uh, even though I love the gimmick, uh, I would have to put Kabuki actually last, but he was one of a kind. But as yep. far as in ring, Hakushi was better than him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I, I would do the exact same thing. I loved the great Buddha, especially in 89. He was just a beast at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just love that he was so mysterious having Gary Hart with him. Gary Hart always brings that yeah. sinister vibe to it. So it was great. And Hakushi was just a cool gimmick. Very cool. And yeah, uh, K- Kabuki was was good, but uh, I don't know. It was just maybe too old school for me at that time. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's funny, though, that this the uh, nowadays, like you have people like Kota Ibushi and, you know, all these guys that are over there. It's just amazing. The the talent levels that they have but yeah that was that was our taste of japan back then but uh so hakushi event eventually gets uh gets eliminated i did love i did love uh the at one point where uh i think it was skip did a top rope frankensteiner on on uh hakushi yeah. and the way skip landed is almost on his head and he just does a, a flare flop afterwards right? yeah. he celebrates it and flops and i was like oh that's that's pretty good you know i mean people forget how talented chris candido actually was right Yes, he was. Yes, he was. The crowd was hot for Hakushi, by the way, and they were also hot for Horowitz. I think they just wanted to, he literally was the underdogs. That's who they wanted to cheer for. They were waiting for for him to get in the match. But, uh, you know, it's funny. It's always in Survivor Series trope, right? They they just, guys get pinned by the easiest maneuver. So, like, it'll be 18 finishes, but it's always a roll-up, right? Yeah, yeah. This the deadliest uh, maneuver in all wrestling. The, the surprise roll up. Yeah. So as we're getting down to the end, after all the eliminations, we had uh, Marty Jannetty ending up uh, two and one versus Skip in the one two three kid. And um, Jannetty has been an interesting as we've been going over the episodes. His return has been interesting. He's got off to a rocky start, but over the last few weeks, he's put on put in some good work. I think he was just knocking the ring rust off was was the biggest factor. Uh, but yeah, he he was starting to. To, to get things going and he did a pretty good job in this uh in this portion and uh it was interesting because the kid is the hot guy right now we had sid sid well he's just sid at this point but sid vicious uh sid justice whatever you want to call him but it's sid comes in and interferes does the old uh hangman of uh Gennady on the top mm-hmm. rope gets the kid wins by uh by being uh greasy and he's the sole survivor of the opening match so overall you're your feelings on that match, entertaining, blah, or how was it for you? Uh, going back, I was I was actually a little bit entertained because of some of the work, um, uh, you know, like I said, of Akushi and uh, One Two Three Kid, and like I said, Candido, and you you've always got somebody solid and and Tom Pritchard, and like I said, the fans were actually pretty hot for this match and and Horowitz and stuff, so. I, I was okay, you know, it, uh, when I, like I said, I completely forgot about the match, really, yep. until I started watching. And then um, when I started watching and it was like, okay, this, this is okay. I can deal with this. Yep. Yep. I, I, I was entertained by it. I mean, it wasn't the, the greatest Survivor Series match ever, but, I mean, it, it was a fun one to get the crowd going to start off with. You know, I mean, yeah. guys were – they were working hard. I'll give them that. I mean, you got some guys over. Bob Holly even looked good for a while. He was tossing some guys around the ring. Uh, of course, Hakushi got over. Horowitz seemed to be over. The kid was getting heat and not the old X-Pac, we hate you heat. No. It was actual <laughs> good heel heat at this point. So, yeah, it's a good start. I mean, it was a surprising start. I wasn't expecting this, but pretty good start. And then... And, yeah, I, and I will say, uh, Vince, uh, sorry about that. Vince kept on saying, which I thought amusing. I actually wrote this down that, uh, 
Bob Holly was a two sport athlete, yeah. you know? <laughs> so he kept saying that like two or three times. It was like, you know, there's not many two sport athletes. And I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, we, we had the run of Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders and, and I guess Bob Holly fits in there now, you know? Um, noted NASCAR driver, Bob Holly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I should mention at the end of the match, because of uh, obviously they had the uh, the feud going that was sparked by the previous week's actions, but you get a a, a video of uh, Razor Ramon back in the dressing room losing his cool for the bad guy. He doesn't lose his cool normally, but he went nuts <laughs> back in the dressing room, breaking up the room because of a one, two, three kid getting the, the win and being the final survivor. Uh, and then, uh, then we followed that up with an interview with Razor's teammates uh, for the because he's involved in that uh, that uh, what do you call it uh, not handicap match, wild card uh, wild card yes yeah, sorry thank you um, so they were they were worried about Razor losing his cool and is he going to be, good, be a good teammate so we'll see how that plays out. Um, next up, we went to the women's uh, Survivor Series match, so I'll try to get this right. This is going to be a tough one. So we had Team Bertha Faye, uh, so that was Bertha Faye, Aja Kong, Tomoko Watanabe, and Linus Asuka with Harvey Wimpleman, and they defeated the team of Alundra Blaze, uh, Kyoko Inoue, <laughs> Saki Hasegawa, and Chaparita Asari. How do I do with those names? <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'll be the last time I'll be saying those names, except for maybe uh, Aja Kong or something. <clears throat> but um, obviously, a little bit of a... I don't know, a little bit of hard to get into the match because we weren't familiar with, with the majority of the ladies in this match. Um, uh, one thing I will say, Asari was, I guess, basically the original Rio because she meant, JR, as JR mentioned, she was four foot nine, 100 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we saw the early version of the uh, Cesaro swing in this match as well. Uh, Linus yeah, I, I did notice that, yeah. She was actually pretty good. She was, uh, she could go in there. She had some, and of course, all the Japanese ladies, they always bring it you know, <clears> as far as the speed yeah. of the match. And I think Alundra Blaze was pretty happy to be involved with these ones because she could actually wrestle for a little bit as opposed to what she yeah. was doing. Yeah. And that, that was what I got because I couldn't remember, you know, of course, I knew Blaze and Kong, but the re- I was like, I don't know who none of these people are. But um, it was one of those matches where, like I said, Blaze could actually get to showcase a little bit of actually wrestling than compared to what some of the stuff she had been doing. Yes. And, I mean, um, Blaze got to be pretty stiff in this match. She was giving some pretty stiff kicks and, and mm-hmm. maneuvers and stuff like that. I, I, met, I made note of the fact that uh, Aja Kong obviously was the one they were getting over in this match. She looked like a wrecking machine in there. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. Um, Bertha Faye. So here's a note on this. So this is, an, again, the interesting things that happened this pay-per-view. Bertha Faye was on her way out of WWF at this point, and she looked like she was on her way out because she just knew two shits about whether the fact that she got pinned or whatever. She just went in there, did her thing, and got out of there. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know she was then, leaving, but I did think that she was like, she didn't seem very excited. Asha Kong, the reason they were building her up so much was she was supposed to have a feud with uh, Alundra Blaze for the uh, women's title. But I guess apparently she got caught, I think it was either weed or cocaine. I'm not sure which it was. 
tested mm. positive for that. So that ended that push for Aja Kong. And then, of course, we all know what happened with Blaze later on. This would actually be her second last match in WWF at this point. She would have another match in a couple of weeks on Raw. And then we'll talk in December about what goes on with Miss Blaze. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only other thing I, I got a kick out of is Mr. Perfect at one point asked, this is the first time that ladies were in the Survivor Series, and JR had to remind him about 1987 and Jumping Bomb Angels being involved in a in the women's match at that point. Um, yeah. So I'm, sure, I'm sure Vince loved that fact. The Perfect uh, either brought up that fact or that he didn't know that fact. I don't know which right. would drop him more, but... Uh, other than that, it was a chaotic match. Um, Kong gets the win. Uh, the only thing of note that I put is that she uh, her music was the old Orient Express music. <laughs> I did not. I did not pay attention to that. I wasn't paying attention to that on that. So yep. that's a good yep. one. Yeah. So it's the old Orient Express because, of course, if they're from Japan, they have to have that music. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, the whole Blaze stuff. Well, we were in for a doozy of a situation with that, but. Uh, yeah, overall, were you entertained by this one, or was it just time to go to the bathroom? It, well, I was trying to watch it because I knew I was doing the show, but I really wasn't. Uh, and then I was trying to pay attention to the commentary mm-hmm. because, uh, especially now with all the stuff recently that's come out with Vince, I, I was trying to remember because we all know how he was during the Attitude Era. So I was like, okay, what's he saying about women you know, just a little bit before it. And there was a couple, cause I think he said something about uh, Kong not being very pretty or something, or maybe, and you know, and it was like, okay, Vince, you know, it's starting the show here. It's starting the show. Yeah. At least we didn't have Jerry Lawler calling Medusa horse face at this point. Cause that was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's just uh, unreal. Well, we can see why they had Jr. there because Jr. had the yeoman's duty as far as calling the moves in this match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then from there we go on to, uh, well, Todd Pettengill who is in the crowd and I've always had a, just a complete disdain for Todd Pettengill to be quite honest, yeah. but um, he's in the crowd with Bill Clinton. And if you're listening on audio, doing some uh, air quotes on this because it's obviously a Bill Clinton, Clinton impersonator and uh, they get interrupted by Bob Backlund and his foolishness. And I think Bob kind of lost, kind of lost where he was at with the script at that point. Cause he kind of blanked out for a second there. <laughs> yeah. Cause he said there was uh, only, what was it? 8,000 employees in the federal government. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Back, Backlund. I, to think of what he went from to what he became in the later years, yeah. it's, just, it's just night and day. But I, I don't know. I think I like this character better than the original Bob Backlund. Although I have a greater appreciation for Bob Backlund now when I go, because I did do a little deep dive into some old Bob Backlund stuff. And although he was howdy doody as far as a champion, he was impressive in that ring and he was a strong dude. Yes, he was. Mm. Yeah. When he uh, when he did the one-armed uh, li- deadlift of Hulk Hogan, that he had me sold at that point. Um, so there, so we go from that to a one-on-one match. This isn't a Survivor Series match. It's just uh, Bam Bam Bigelow versus Goldust. Uh, Goldust, by the way, uh, looked like he lost a little weight between his raw appearance to here. He looked in better shape for this one. Um, as far as the match itself, another notable thing, this is Bam Bam Bigelow's last match with WWF. He would then go on to ECW and have his infamous run in ECW in 95. Yeah. Um, and uh, the only things I... I got out of this was 
some impressive maneuvers. I'm always impressed with Bam Bam's agility. Although I was not a big Bam Bam fan, I just didn't like the flame unitard that he mm-hmm. wore. Uh, his agility is crazy. He took a vicious bump over the top rope on a clothesline by Gold Dust, and then um, also there was a nasty electric chair by Bam Bam on Gold Dust as well. But other than that, I mean, Gold Dust got the win with the running bulldog. But uh, what thoughts on this match? Any highlights from it for you? Um, uh, just. Gold Dust uh, bringing that uh, that old school um, stalling heel yep. to try to get a little bit of heat. You know, yep. he was picking his spots, taking his time. Uh, then you know, it was it, like I said, I know a lot of people now would would hate the match, but uh, there is psychology to that by you know taking your time and and not rushing into it. Uh, but the most obvious thing, see, I didn't know this was Bam Bam's. I couldn't remember in my mind when he left, and I didn't realize this was his last match because I was surprised that uh, Goldust, uh, that was the first thing I thought was there was no shenanigans, no illegal nothing. He just won clean in the middle of the ring with a bulldog. Yep, yep. And, <laughs> and I was like, you know, huh. So. See the bulldog that because again you know me I'm doing a deep dive on like old school uh, um, mid Atlantic championship and stuff like that and I'm seeing Sam Houston as well right and um, mm-hmm. I uh, you could get the bulldog back in as a as a good finishing maneuver the way Goldust delivers it or Sam Houston delivers it they they put some mm-hmm. uh, they put some good juice into that I mean I think compared to some of the other finishers that we have nowadays I mean. I could see that move getting over because it's something that you don't see anymore. No, uh, you, you really don't. Uh, and another person who used to use it, uh, um, I mean, he didn't use it as a finisher, but he would still use it uh, quite a bit was uh, Michael Freebird Hayes. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Brett, he would Brett use that bulldog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, no, I- for all you, for everybody listening, Hashtag bring back the bulldog. Okay. <laughs> not the British and we're bulldog. not talking not the British bulldog. We're talking about the maneuver. Okay. Yeah. Hashtag it, get it trending, bring back. Throw in their face right into the map. Let's bring it back, guys. Hashtag BBTB. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure that'll take us to some porn site or something like that. If you <laughs> yeah, <in there>. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, yeah, that's what struck me. I was like, you know what? Especially a guy the size of Dustin doing it, you could get that bulldog over for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, our next matchup was uh, the team of the Royals, which was Jerry Lawler, Doctor Isaac Yankum, his personal dentist, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and King Mabel versus the Dark Side, which is the Undertaker, Savio Vega, Fatu, and Henry O. Godwin, or as we now know them, the BSK, because this is. Basically, without Yoko, this is the backstage crew, right? Or the Bone Street crew, yeah. or whatever they call them. So, right off the get-go, of course, Taker is coming back from his his broken orbital bone, which was a legit injury. It was a by accident, of course, and Mabel struck him in the eye during a dark show, a dark um, during a house show, and uh, caused that that injury to him. But we got the Undertaker rocking a Phantom of the Opera mask, which seems to be a theme this week. <laughs> and we'll get into that later on the Nitro portion. But uh, what what you what were your thoughts on that whole Undertaker with the mask era? 
Well, see, and that was the funny thing. Again, I'd forgot until you guys a couple weeks ago were talking about Mabel and all this. And it was like I wasn't putting the years together of when he came out with the mask being the same Survivor Series as uh, Brett and Diesel. Because when you get this age, they all just run together. So, uh, yeah, I I guess, um, you know, when he brought out, I understand. And he was trying to keep with the dead man motif, I guess you could say, instead of just a uh, uh, Bill Lambeer clear uh, plastic one or something like that. Uh, Some of you. Some of you guys might know who Bill Lambert is. If not, googling. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> oh, the old Detroit bad boys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it was a much nicer looking mask than Hogan's uh, Party City uh, mask that he used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I now that I know, about, now that I go back, I'm like, did WCW do that to kind of make fun of uh, Undertaker or something mm. like that? It was something I was wondering, right? But uh, anyways. Um, of course, the, uh, the the BSK, as we'll call them, they ended up cleaning house in this match. They went 4-0 uh, on it. Uh, they uh, they uh, didn't lose any member, which is a shock to me. But I, for me, this match, I enjoyed this match. I thought it was entertaining and really picked up once they got The Undertaker involved. But just to see all these... I, I mentioned there's a ton of girth in this, this ring. The only guy that looked out of place was Lawler, but he did such a good job playing the chicken shit heel in this as well, yeah. right? And he got two very nice pile drivers on Savio, by the way. Like, impressive. I've always been impressed with Jerry Lawler's pile driver. Yeah, and and again, we go back to um, what you guys have talked about, finishers and stuff. And people don't realize that back in the territories, there were some territories the pile driver was outlawed. You know, it was a definite finishing maneuver. And... uh, Jerry the King always had one of the nicest pile drivers uh, yeah. that that you'll see. That's right. The other thing is, I continue to uh, feel ashamed of myself for how bad I used to crap on Mabel back in the day. That man, like, although I didn't agree with the whole men on a mission character, that dude is agile for a guy that his his size. Like, he could move in that ring, and he actually. He knew what he was doing in there. He's, and even his facials were good. Just I loved his facials when the Undertaker comes in the ring and he's taking off the, yeah. the hat and he sees the mask and just the way he kind of like popped back and he's but he gets on the apron and he's kind of giving him the side eye, like, I don't know what to do about this guy. Like Mabel, I I, I feel bad because he actually was better than it's just the whole stupid outfit that they have for that whole men on a mission thing was just what ruined yeah. it for me. Yeah, and 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 he is, and and now you look back on hindsight as twenty twenty, you do realize a lot of times uh, that hey, he was a lot more talented than than maybe given credit for back in the day. Yes, exactly. Uh, the only other thing I'll mention about this match because we'll move it along, but uh, Taker, you forget how freaking quick and agile he was back in the day before, you know, the injuries are racking up for him. Like he was moving in that ring when he was bouncing off those ropes. Just very impressive, very impressive. But um, yeah, that, that's, I guess the only other thing that I noticed that was the highlight of the match, but it, it, again, I enjoyed it. Uh, What was your thoughts on, on this overall? Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it was just a fun match. um, And it was able to bring the mystique of the undertaker back, you know, coming back from an injury. Um, and then really to continue their feud, uh, even though 
Mabel did run off. You know, he he didn't get pinned or anything. So, you know, it still keeps him yeah. okay. There's still unfinished business there. So, you 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 get that part of the yeah. story. Um, and then, of course, the other little moving parts in it with uh, with uh, uh, Triple H or actually Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the time and Godwin. Yeah. You know, their little uh, uh, little feud there. You still keep the parts moving to keep the story going just a little bit long after Survivor Series. Uh, I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, like I said, I'd forgot about the mask until – um, you know, and then it was like, okay, yeah, this is when he comes out with the Phantom of the Opera thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it was it was entertaining and get to watch that. And like I said, see Undertaker back more in his prime because uh, that was one thing that I missed as he got older that I remembered now watching was just uh, when he would come off the rope. I mean, he would yeah. – he would lean way back into the rope to get that push off of it. And sometimes you would think that he was going to lean so far back that he was going to flip over almost, you know, he would get that little spring off of it. So yeah, I was, I was entertained. It was okay. Right on. Cool. All right. From there, we went to a couple of promos from the locker room. We had Bret Hart talking in one locker room and there was a diesel talking in the other. Uh, if you had listened to our last episode, I talked about how they had to sit down live interviews with Brett mm-hmm. and Diesel, and they were kind of a train wreck, to be honest. Uh, Vince trying to be Howard Cosell, Brett kind of lost along the way, Diesel just coming off as wooden, so not that great. These were a little bit better, but still, still not great. I just found, and I remember thinking this at the time, but now I really find it, Diesel just felt um, wooden at this time and it just felt like he was not him like being himself he was definitely playing a character in this compared to what we would see for kevin nash in the wcw days yeah and which actually no not to give a spoiler but when we get to raw we sort of see and it was like he was almost actually doing that he was just yes. you know and uh you know i do agree uh you know both of them were trying to put the other over a little bit you know talking about uh but then you know diesel was uh, i don't get paid by the hour i'm just going to go in and uh and beat you and so it it was it was okay i mean it's nothing to you know that uh if i was still on twitter that i'd be retweeting that promo of the week or anything like that <laughs> yeah exactly well, there you go. We we be uh we be making fun of it on Twitter. That was back. Then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we're on to our fun little wild card match, which is almost the co-main event. But uh, this one's star studded. I gotta say, we've got the team of Yokozuna and Owen Hart, who are obviously heels. Uh, Dean Douglas, who's a heel, and then their face tag team partner is Razor Ramon against the British Bulldog and Sid, who are also both heels, and then the fa- the fan favorites of Shawn Michaels. And Ahmed Johnson. This is a very new to WWF Ahmed Johnson, who had just gotten the basically the rocket strapped him the previous week by coming in the ring and body slamming Yokozuna. The last last guy to do that was uh was old Mr. Luger on an aircraft carrier back in July 4th. <laughs> so but I guess Ahmed's on his way to a count out victory for the world title at some point <laughs> at SummerSlam. But uh yeah, so um I don't know. I, I always, uh, we talked about Sid before, but he's so impressive looking when he's coming down to the ring. I don't even care what he does in the ring. The dude just looks like a 
wrestler. If you know what I mean, he just he's just like yeah. chiseled out of granite. The blonde hair, the intensity, the water dripping off him. He's just so cool looking. And then, you know, he's so big. It's just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, that just that whole dynamic trying to uh, where they were, you know, can they coexist plus heel versus heel, face versus face that, you know, you again, as we're getting into this, because, again, coming from the territory days back in the late 80s and up to the you know the the it was defined on good guy versus bad guy and we 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 start to see more of this tweener well not really tweener but still some more face versus face or heel versus heel dynamic so uh and like i said i forgot all about this match and uh i remembered this was the time period that uh ahmed was there but uh he was looking good um yep. you know he was jacked and you know it was like um okay we just come you know like i said we'd said off air about the uh uh the steroid trials a few years back and it was like uh maybe somebody didn't give him the memo i don't know because yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he looked jacked well, well talk yeah we'll talk about the wellness program in the main event too because i don't know diesel looked like he blew up another 20 pounds in the uh in the yeah. ball muscle in the main event he, he looked swole as anything man crazy but yeah as far as the match i mean sean is over like grover with the crowd like it's just unreal and sean did a ton of work in this match or obviously I, well i i made the comment when i wrote it down that sean's over is uh very over this time especially with vince <laughs> you can almost hear vince drooling over him uh during yeah. his commentary oh boy um but yeah he looked great uh it, it was interesting to see razor doing some heel work in the corner when uh mm-hmm. with the other team and and that was pretty cool because he kind of adapted to the style uh he had razor cost uh dean douglas to get eliminated with his beautiful punch that razor always does um what else did we have we had uh obviously the botch and the super kick by uh by sean botch you know it, it was intentional he didn't seem yeah. broken up over the fact that he cost sid to get eliminated and then sid just with a vicious power bomb on uh pardon the pun on on sean there um and then other than that i mean again the only thing i said about this match it seemed like there's a few different botches at times it was almost like guys forgot okay in my heel in my face who am i supposed to be teaming yeah. with there i think it was a bit confusing for them did you find that yeah and uh but you know like i said sean uh him and owen when they were in there and even the um the the Sean Yokozuna part there towards the end, uh, it was like Yokozuna was selling for him, but not really. You know, it was like I'm a monster, yep. and it, it took Sean a bunch of kicks, hits, punches, everything, just to get him. It was it was just enough to make it look like okay, maybe he's making an effect. So again, that mm-hmm. storytelling to where it's important because sometimes big guys either sell too much or they don't sell at all. It's trying to find that balance. And I guess that's what I was really, and I'd forgot about was, um, you know, just Yokozuna just doing some, a little bit of selling just enough to, to give the match a little flavor, but not overdoing it, but still to make it look like, okay, the underdog, the, the little guy's got a chance, but then really, no, he doesn't. So I, I thought that was good. I agree with you. It, um, 
he did a great job because they it both Ahmed and it was like Ahmed and and Sean had to chop down the tree type of thing, but mm-hmm. Yoko was willing to work with them with that. And then man, for a guy that's over six hundred pounds, did he ever do a nice flat back for that uh, for that super kick yeah. from Sean? That was impressive. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's uh, always just impressive. And then, of course, we had um, another body slam of Yoko by Ahmed to to end the match. Again, very impressive looking. Uh, and then I love Davy Boy coming in and finally reverting back to the heel stuff. And he kicks Ahmed when he's spinning Yoko because that's his friend in Camp Cornette. And then, of course, in a perfect heel tactic, even though he did do that, his team still got the win. So he celebrate with them like he's done something special, right? So... It was just, I, I love that little touch, but Davey Boy's doing some great work in 95. I got to say that. <laughs> yes, he is. And, and that, the first thing I thought when he done that, and, you know, he's raising his hand, even though, you know, he was trying to cost his team the victory. It's like that, my friends, is what my show's about. There's the real truth. Then there's the heel yes. truth. And the heel will spin it any way they need to. <laughs> it was really good, but. We definitely got a couple of stars on the match. Well, they were already stars, but HBK, of course, he, he just made to look like a million bucks in this. And they're definitely built. You can tell they're building Ahmed and because they know they, mm-hmm. they need some more main event guys. Uh, Razor, of course, always looks good in his matches. And Davey was was special in this match. So it, it, uh, even Owen. Owen, I mean, he did a great job in that match as well. So it was I, I I liked it. it. It was again. There was a lot of botches. I mean, there was even that one where Davey tried to break up the pin on Razor, and he completely missed him. And I think I think yeah. that was a mistake. I don't think he was supposed to break up the pin at that point. So it was just just those things kind of I guess would bring it down quite a bit. Yeah, because I thought he was actually pinned there. You know, because I was yes. like, you didn't hit him. Why? You know, why? Why? You know, so. Yeah, a couple of things, but yeah, but overall, and then like I said, Owen, Owen is so good at everything. You know, if he needs to work, he'll work. If he needs to sell, he sells. If he needs to shine, he'll shine. He's just doing his job like another day at the office. That's right. That's right. All right. So from there, we go to some more Bill Clinton stuff. And of course, this time he's got Sonny on his lap. (laughs) I mean, as if this couldn't get cheesy enough, they have. They have that to go, including some spilled popcorn that just happens to go down her cleavage and stuff. So uh, yeah. high water, high water stuff from WWF at this point. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know where to begin on that. That was like, yeah, just, I couldn't done without all the Bill Clinton vignettes there. It was uh, not very good. Yeah. By the way, who cut Todd Pettengill's hair? It looked like he had a weed whacker taken to it or something like that. Uh- <laughs> Uh, I have a, it's an abnormal disdain for po- Todd Pettengill for some reason. I don't know why, but just he's, he's one of the, he's got one of those punchable faces in my eyes. Yeah. All right. So then we get, we're going into our main event. We have a quick recap of the Bretton Diesel history. So they did a good job. They did a great job on stealing some clips from that sit down interview and making it look like it flowed beautifully. It certainly yeah. wasn't as clunky as it was on the, on the TV show. And then we get into it. We get into the Brett versus uh, Brett Hart versus Diesel main event. And uh, right off the get go, I would probably put this up there as maybe maybe Diesel's second best match in WWF next to uh, his fight with uh, uh, with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 11. Yeah. Thoughts on that yourself? 
Yeah, uh, that was the thing because, again, it had been a long time since I'd watched him wrestle as Diesel, and and that was the thing. I was like, okay, this was one of his better matches because he was actually, and the way they were doing it with Brett, uh, attacking the leg, attacking the leg. You know, I, I can't outpower him, so I'm going to attack the leg. I'm going to bring him down to my size. And uh, uh, Diesel was actually doing a decent job of selling that. So, uh, yeah, I thought he, I thought he did pretty good in this one. He did, yeah. It's funny, right from the get-go, we get that. Uh, it's a meme that I use a lot on on Twitter, but it, we get that, that funny eyebrow raise uh, smile from yeah. Brett when he first looks at the belt at the beginning of the match. I, I, I couldn't remember where that came from. Well, we found out it's from Survivor Series where he makes Survivor that weird series. face. Um, you know, the two of them, they they. what I loved is it's a face versus face match, but it was intense. They showed some intensity. They were going at it. It wasn't like this whole handshake and, oh boy, I, I don't want to hurt you type of stuff. It's like, no, this is for the world title. We're going to, we're going to go at it. And I, I like that. Uh, Brett with the tie up of Diesel's leg with the mic cord was a little bit interesting. It was something that didn't commonly see at that time. And I found we got shades of the 97 Brett when he's a heel with some of the chair shots he was doing on Diesel's, uh, Diesel's knee. Yeah, and that, like I said, that whole dynamic because you've got two popular people who are, but yet the very first thing they do is the psychology where, uh, you know, Diesel takes off the turnbuckle, you know, exposes it. Mm-hmm. And then Brett does the same thing like, no, I'm going to fight you. This yeah. ain't going to be fair. Um, but then, of yeah. course, it's supposed to be no DQ no count out and right at the beginning or about eh, maybe a quarter way, maybe close to half um, when uh, Brett's working on the leg and, uh, you know, puts him like in the figure four type and diesel grabs the rope and they do the rope break. I hate those. And even Mr. Perfect was like, well, what's it matter? What's he going to do? Disqualify him. And Vince was like, well, no, it's the ref job. He'll, he'll have to break it up. And I'm like, you're making up the rules as you go along, Vince. Okay, somebody forgot. Mm-hmm. This is no DQ. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That dro- that always drove me crazy in a in a no DQ match. It's like also like, why don't you just right off the echo take a chair and just start whacking the hell out of the person? <laughs> you know, yeah. because you're not going to get DQ. But yeah, that that was a little bit of a forgetting, especially in a Brett match. You're surprised to see something like that. But I guess they needed an out for Diesel in, in that case with the the finisher, but. You're right. Diesel was really selling the leg, like he almost was doing a zombie walk, trying to uh, trying to drag it along. Uh, and then, uh, then it got really interesting. We had some stuff go to the outside. You had uh, Brett missing that plancha to the outside. That was um, Jr. was able to actually call it the right move, as opposed to Vince doing what a maneuver. <laughs> yeah, and um, really cool table spot because at this point, like. Now, like table spots are just commonplace. They happen yeah. 14 times during an episode of Raw. But you had Brett going through the Spanish announce table, and I liked how they did it. It was just Brett was standing on the outside apron, hold on to the ropes. Diesel just goes over and pushes the ropes, and the power of it sends Brett into the table. I I, I thought it was cool how they did that. Yeah, and uh, I talked a little bit about that on uh, the episode I did a few weeks ago about get the tables out. Uh, which you can find at the Hill Truth, wherever you get your audio, Spotify, Amazon, Google, all that stuff. Um, 
but yeah, that was one of those things where um, I personally sometimes prefer them to go through the announce table because you don't have to pull it out from under the ring and take the time to set it up. You know, it seems more organic and natural. Uh, I do feel sorry because it seemed like they're um, in, well, I guess in both companies, it seems like in all over the world, they always want to go through the Spanish, uh, you know, the Spanish language table there that's doing the broadcast there for them. It's like they always run their table first. Yeah, it's like, you know, but yeah, you I thought it was a good spot. Guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was again, because, uh, in nine, in what, again, what people don't realize until ECW came along, uh, people weren't going through tables. This was right. a rarity. So it made especially, it feel very special. Especially WWF. You didn't see that at all in WWF. We got a little bit in WCW, but not there. So it, it felt, even even though we've seen it a billion times in modern wrestling, it felt different at that time watching it. And that was the only table spot of the night. You know, So they saved mm-hmm. it for the main event as well. Um, and, and as far as anything else, um, you had some amazing selling by Brett when he gets back in the ring and he's, he's like just lifeless trying as diesel's trying to get him up into the, uh, the jackknife. And then it turns out he's playing a little bit of possum and uh, rolls him up for the small package gets the one, two, three. We have a new WWF world heavyweight champion. And that's when diesel decides to snap and go heal. I guess we'll say at this point, as he starts, uh, power bombing, uh, Brett and then taking out referees and, Definitely the announcers were selling it like he's turned into the bad guy. That's for sure. Yeah, it was just like he was going ballistic. Uh, he was upset. Uh, and, you know, it's like, okay. But then on the other hand, uh, I guess for me seeing it, it would be, you know, even if I'm quote unquote a face, uh, I think I'd still with the intensity of the match because it wouldn't just a uh, catch can scientific uh uh, you know, shake your hand at the end of the match. It was a no DQ match. So yeah. for him to get beat with the, uh, with the small package roll up there, uh, you know, I'd be pretty ticked off too. So uh, yeah. I thought that I, that played out pretty good. Uh, you know, and even when we, uh, I, you know, I, I know uh, before uh, this guy, um, God, what's his name? Um Phil, Phil Brooks, used to be a wrestler. <laughs> okay. Uh, got a lot of tattoos, used to be a wrestler. Uh, it was with AEW, uh, but um, he likes to do a lot of stuff uh, uh, to honor Bret Hart. And yes. uh, that that match he had with Wardlow was basically the copy of the finish of that. You know, Wardlow puts him through the table. He comes in, does the roll-up. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I've heard Phil's a little toxic backstage and he's injured. I don't know if he'll have a future or not, but uh, he obviously liked Bret Hart. So. He, he was a fan. So were, so were a couple of guys that you've met before, too. Uh, what's your name? Yeah. Action Smash? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, 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 Wheelman and uh, Hardwood, I think, was his name. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah. the reunion, I think they were called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Well, it just goes to show that the uh, there's still some love for Brett in the wrestling world, which mm-hmm. is good. You know, he, he 
There's a reason why this is one of Diesel's best matches, and it's not because Diesel all of a sudden became an amazing wrestler. It's he was working with a guy that knew how to accentuate everything that Diesel brings to the yeah. table, just like Sean. Although we'll talk about this at the end of this episode, but Sean, whereas Brett's just constantly just thinking about the match and the structure and that, I found Sean sometimes like to go off on his own little tangents for a while and kind of make Sean look pretty good, you know, at the expense yeah. of mothers, yeah. whereas Brett's just all about the art and uh, you can see it here. But uh, so that was the end of uh, Survivor Series 95. Overall, your thoughts on this pay-per-view? How, what would you, I don't want to say rate it, but what was your overall feelings? It was fun. I'll, I'll give it a fun because, you know, uh, like that it had been so long since I'd seen it and, you know, I'd still seen clips of the uh, Diesel Brett over the years, but the whole thing, it it was a fun little pay-per-view. It was okay. Uh, again, like I said, it, it's uh, going back and remembering that, okay, here and here in just a little bit, we're getting out of the cartoon stage because we're still some of there and especially with Vince's commentator, you know, and stuff. So it's, uh, we're getting ready to get out of it. But yes. uh, it was okay. For what it was, it was fun. It had some good moments. I, I completely agree with your assessment. It's almost like we're still in that little transition period, but you're starting to see signs of we're moving away from it a bit. Uh, even just uh, how Diesel reacted, which I did enjoy. This is what I liked about Diesel's reaction at the end. Maybe not the whole taking out the entire rest squad, but as soon as Brett pins him, he's not laying on the mat for two minutes because of the small package. He immediately pops up and he drops an F bomb. Cause he's like, he's mad at himself. Like, I can't believe I mm-hmm. lost to that after all this match that felt real. That felt like a real reaction. And that's, um, I like that instead of the whole shocked face that guys do, or they just lay on the mat after a small package. Why, why would you lay on the mat? You should be kicking out at 3.1 and, uh, trying mm-hmm. to get out of that. Right. But yeah, so that oh, was yeah. that was good. But yeah, I would call I would call it fun. I'd say if you're gonna watch anything from it, I would watch probably the I'd probably watch the uh, the wild card match, and I definitely watch the main event because again, um, probably yeah. some of Diesel's best work. And also, if if you're not familiar, which you should be, a lot of people are because of the attitude error, but still, just amazes me that. Gold dust, Mr. Dustin Rhodes, as old as he is, is still going. You know, just like Sting, he's still yeah. going. So, yeah, uh, you know, and, and yeah. like I said, bring the bulldog back. We're not talking about the exactly. British bulldog. We're talking about That's the maneuver. BPTB right. hashtag it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Ted, I was going to ask you, did you do any betting on that pay per view? Did you have a, any money on the line as far as who's going to win between Brett and Diesel? Uh, no, not back then or even now, but if I did, I would probably go over to bet stamp because I hear that they're pretty good. That they are pretty good. They, I'm sure if they hadn't been around at that point and they were given odds, they would have probably gave you the best odds you possibly could have had in order to put a little extra lettuce in your back pocket, if you know what I mean. But, uh, as Ted alluded to bet stamp, they're friends of the show. They are sponsoring this episode for us. And, uh, just to give you a little rundown of the advantages of BetStamp, so it, it's a it's an app that's made for betters by better. So some of the features of uh, BetStamp is that you uh, you have, of course, you have betting lines are different, uh, have different odds at each sports book. So by using the BetStamp app, you can line shop across all sports books to ensure you are find the best value available for each wager, and that does come in handy. I used it to my advantage uh, Super Bowl weekend, made a little bit of 
coin off of some bets and I was able to find which, which, uh, which ones were giving me the best chances to uh, maximize my bets. You also get verified bet tracking. So that bet stamp allows you to track verified bets across all major sports books. Uh, this allows you to keep track of your different accounts and build a more credible record as a better. Uh, you'll also be able to follow winning betters uh, using the BetStamp app as it instantly notifies you when they are tracking picks. And following winner use, winning users in the BetStamp mar- pick marketplace is a great way to find new bets and to increase your odds, as we say. And finally, if you're going to use the BetStamp app, why don't you head on over there, download it, and use our promo code, which is WWTT. That is WWTT for Wrestling With The Truth. And uh, sign up, use that code, and let them know who sent you over to BetStamp. So check it out. It's free. It's uh, for you to use, and it's a good way to increase your odds of winning with BetStamp. You don't have to go to some back alley to a guy named Vinny that if you don't pay up, he's going to cut your fingers off. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) Love it. All right, Ted. Well, thank you very much for uh, for uh, helping us promote these uh, these good guys over at BetStamp. They certainly have been uh, good friends to the show, and hopefully, there's lots of listeners out there are taking advantage of it. Like you say, it's it's free of charge, so there's no skin off your back, and it's going to certainly help you uh, help you out with your your betting adventures. But before we get into our uh, November twentieth of ninety five reviews of Nitro and Raw, I thought I'd give you a chance to talk about your own podcast, The Heel Truth, because uh, as uh, you mentioned earlier, you, you've kind of gone off Twitter. So your promotional outlet's going to have to be us fools that, that you come on and join our <laughs> show so you can get this pumped up. But, uh, of course, we're all going to support you and we're all going to shout out. But why don't you talk about your podcast so folks know where to reach you at? Um, like I said, all your audio platforms, uh, I'm on every one of them that I can think of and you know, have new episodes uh, come out usually on Tuesday. So there should be a one out tomorrow. And, uh, but you can contact me uh, at Hill Truth, Hill Truth Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, all lowercase, no uppercase. And uh, we're just doing this to have fun, uh, enjoying it. Uh, if you want to leave a five star review on Apple, uh, I read those out. Uh, if you want to leave a five star rating, on Spotify, or even if you got something that you don't have a, a five-star way to do it, uh, you can uh, just tell me what you think about the show, send me an email, and um, if you like the show, uh, you know, I'll read it out on the air. Uh, if you crap on it, I probably won't, but, you know, still, <laughs> it's nice to have the good stuff, and uh, actually, uh, the newest episode, uh, I actually Last week was the first week I put out the email and actually got someone uh, that listens to me on uh, Stitcher. And they mentioned that they weren't on Twitter, that they were on Facebook, but that they don't do a lot of the social media stuff. And uh, they listened to me on Stitcher and they sent me an email and uh, I'll be reading that out on the uh, next episode. So, uh, yeah, just uh, wherever you get your podcast from, uh, we'd like to hear from you. And uh, we just talk about the guys the heels we talk a little psychology a little old school uh you know every now and then we'll mention something about the new stuff but we just like talking about uh about the bad guys right on it's such a great show i love it i love your point of view for the 
the heels. And as you say, it is the heel truth. It doesn't mean it's the real truth, but it's the heel truth. And that's all that matters. That's right. (laughs) They can justify it. And that's the best mark of a heels when they can justify their actions, which as we get going here, we're going to start with Raw, I thought, since it's the follow-up to uh, to Survivor Series. We're talking about a guy who was justifying his actions uh, on uh, Survivor Series, but uh, we, we'll go through this pretty quickly. But we had, we had a quick Survivor Series recap to start off the show, and then we got into uh, our opening match, which was Hakushi versus the 1-2-3 Kid. Interesting, during the match, we had Marty Jannetty trying to jump in the uh, ring in street clothes um, and uh, get at one, two, three kids since he felt he got robbed at Survivor Series the previous night and uh, unsuccessful in foiling one, two, three kids uh, match here. But afterwards, we see uh, we see a little uh, interference by Ted DiBiase knocking Hakushi off the rope so Kid can get the win. And then in a post-match interview, Sid comes out as uh, Janetti's trying to once again get at one, two, three kid and lays waste to Marty Janetti basically at ringside. So any thoughts on that or any, any feedback? Uh, again, both guys talented in the ring and even in 95, uh, their work would, you know, hold up with a lot of the stuff today. Um, just phenomenal. Um, I did notice that I guess it was a little bit of a botch when, one, two, three kid was going for the uh, frog splash off the top. I think he was just a little bit too far away because he really come down on his knees a lot yeah. first and then he laid over him. So, but you know, he's, he's still coming into his own, I think as a, uh, uh, a TV wrestler. So I'm sure, you know, he's still getting it there. So, but, uh, it was a decent match. Uh, you know, both of them, like I said, great, uh, uh, the post-match, you know, again, Sid, he was just showing, and, you know, it's like, okay, poor Marty Jannetty, is he, you know, is he getting a push? Is he not? Is he just starting to get beat up? So, you know, it's like, okay. What I what I did like about uh, that, well, you know what, I'll, I'll get into that at the end of this, actually, because there's going to be a running theme with this I want to touch on at this, so I won't spoil that. But uh, one, one funny thing I, I, I wanted to ask there uh, – is it me or is kid with that that dry kind of poodle perm? Does he look like some '80s mom named Donna or something like that? Well, I was thinking that too because it was like, okay, this is '95, and I was thinking back about his hair there, and I was thinking that uh, maybe Greg Brady had actually grew his hair out a little bit. <laughs> I was thinking more Brady Bunch perm. Yeah, but definitely, uh, it was a little bit, uh, yeah. Maybe not for its time in 95. I was there in 95. I don't remember as many perms like that in 95. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that are in between hairstyles at this point. You know, you got Diesel growing it out. Sean's growing it out. Kid's got his going on. Billy cut his mullet. You know, you got all these different things. So it's uh, it's interesting to see as the, you can see everybody's going from the 90, 80s, early 90s look to now we're into the grunge era. And that's where they're going with the hairstyles. But pretty funny. Um, they did a quick little uh, blurb on the whole um, uh, Bulldog and Brett going to be matching up at In Your House that's coming up in December. And it was a quick interview with, uh, or I guess a promo with uh, with uh, Bulldog and uh, Jim Cornette. What I loved about it is there's already a built-in story for this feud where you yeah. have doubt, can Brett beat Bulldog? Because, of course, he lost to him in 1992 at Wembley Stadium, which, there you go. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. That's what you need for a feud, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that too. Cause, uh, 
I remember the match, but I didn't, you know, again, I hadn't seen this. So for him to bring that up in the promo, it was like, okay, like I said, sowing those seeds of doubt that, hey, I've beat you before. You know that I've beat you, so I can do it again. So, yeah, I think it was just a, a great way to transition from Brett and Diesel to try to get to Bulldog and just keep that story and build that. And it, it's an easy way to get a story going. That's right. And I mean, you, uh, you always talk about it on your podcast. The heel is justified in his actions. He's, he's able to say what he's saying because he proved it with that, with that mm-hmm. win. And that doesn't matter yeah. what it happened three years ago. And it's a whole different scenario, but there you go. Yep. We then go backstage and we see a, a very upset Diesel coming into the building, pushing people around. What I got a kick out of is talk about times and, and styles and stuff like that. Is you got Diesel with a fanny pack, a baseball hat, a leather jacket, and it looked like your dad's golf shirt underneath. Yeah. Everybody had the fanny pack. Uh, and then there was a reason that we had Diesel focused on that because we next had Skip versus Savio Vega, but that match didn't last very long because out comes Diesel and to interrupt that match. And he doesn't actually do anything in the ring. He just kind of comes by ringside, tosses Skip down pretty hard, and then grabs the microphone. And uh, we're starting to get a little taste of tweener Diesel is what I I will call Mm -hmm. it because he says, I'm still slapping hands, but you got to have a glove on that hand because uh, you're either with me or against me. He says he's still friends with Sean. So, of course, Sean being the one of the top bases. So that means that he's a tweener. Um, little breaking of kayfabe here, as he mentioned that uh, Vince, you know, tried to turn him into his puppet, basically. And although most of us people that were watching back then at that point knew Vince was the owner of WWF, not everybody did. They still thought he was just the announcer. And then uh, the only other thing that I got to kick out of, Diesel really struggled at the, on the mic. It's almost like he got a little bit too excited at times. And one of the things that I got to kick out of is he said, you missed the ball in this one, baby. You missed the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I think he meant the boat is what he meant. You yeah, you missed the boat. The <laughs> but uh, yeah, he um, he he's a tweener now, and him and Sean are still friends. So what'd you think of that little uh, interference there? Yeah, that was the first thing that hit me was like, okay, we're, again, we're, we're getting to this. We're getting, again, those little stages, you know, yep. and then like I said, the break in kayfabe. And then, you know, in my mind, I also wondered, was he supposed to say all that? You know, yeah. I guess my little mind likes to say, or did, was that a little shoot at Vince? And mm-hmm. uh, it was, you know, it was like, okay, you know, this is it. Because as we know, not too long in the future, you know, he's going to be gone. Yeah. And so is, is he already in his mind thinking, okay, let's see, my contract runs out, you know, I'm going, and so I'm going to just poke the bear a little bit and see what happens. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was, like I said, he was seemed a little excited, but uh, still I I enjoyed that uh, as we're getting to that attitude error and the the kayfabe and the shoot and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, blurring the lines, as we call it, Mm -hmm. which is, again, that's something that has been sorely missing from WWF at this point. So, and, and we know Vince is a control freak. He's going to control every word that he's saying. So it, obviously that was meant to happen, but it, you're at the time I remember sitting there going, Whoa, he kind of mentioned Vince as the owner and all the, and like I say, although I knew it at the time, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Where are they going with that? Yeah. Obviously they were feeling the pressure of WCW. I think at this point, 
uh, you know, because they're totally blurred the lines of WCW, whereas WWF is still doing their cartoony stuff. So this is, you can thank WCW, I think, for this little pressure that went on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From there, we go to the main event, which was a fantastic match. Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart. I mean, you got two consummate professionals in there. Uh, workhorses i mean sean at this point 95 is at the top of his game as far as his work rate i'd have to say and aside from the big comeback that he made after the back injury but uh for for the 90s sean this i would say is his his peak is 95 but some great stuff you got owen doing an insiguri on on sean that looked super stiff which is what you needed for this whole angle because this is the infamous night that Shawn Michaels passes out in the ring yeah, showing, yeah. showing symptoms of his concussion that he had from his fight with nine Marines as I do air right, right. yeah. <laughs> but again talk about breaking kayfabe who enters the ring with a very concerned look in his face but Mr. McMahon one more time so yes, twice this yeah. episode I, I have to say I'll let you take over Ted but Sean's selling here is fantastic. Just the way he even sold the the whole pass, you know, he didn't make it look really, act, you know, theatric. He just kind of like yeah, he just he just collapsed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know that would be what would really probably happen from a concussion is that you just collapse like that, and uh, that was the okay, you know, because you could see the look on the fans, you know, yes. is he really hurt? What's going on? So. You had women, that you had emotion. women crying, women crying in the audience. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, getting that emotion, you know, uh, and pulling it in because, uh, like I said, we didn't know what was going on, so it was a a matter of is he is he okay? What's happening? So yeah, I I thought it was good because, like I said, he was in peak form, and then to have that finish uh, right at the end of the episode again, episodic TV. Guess no. what you're going to do? You're going to tune in next week to see what's the medical update. What's happening? Is he okay? You're, you're going to be pulled in to watch next week. That's it. That's exactly what my thoughts were. I, like To me, I said this is one of the better Raws that, I, that we've seen since we started watching this Wrestling with the War. And um, yeah. it left you asking questions, not just about how is Sean's health, but What's going on with Diesel? You know, what's going on with yeah, Brett? Why yeah. wasn't why wasn't Brett on the show? All these different things, right? Not w- instead of just, well, here's Duke the Dumpster against you know uh, Skip. You know, it, it left you asking questions. I liked, and that's what I was going to say about the Marty situation. The fact that Marty came out in street clothes instead of his stupid rockers gear that it was so flamboyant, right? It just felt mm-hmm. a bit more gritty. Is what it felt like. Yeah. Him yeah, in street yeah. clothes, you had Diesel in street clothes, you have Sean with this this whole situation. So and you have Vince breaking kayfabe as well. Um, so yeah. But and I will say too, what I was gonna touch on, I was gonna say it for the end, but we'll talk about it now because this is more of a WWF thing at this time, is to me what WWF felt like between say 94, 95, going into 96, if and you can feel free to disagree with me, but it felt like there was no stakes on the line for WWF at this time. Like there was like WCW, you've got all these things changing in WCW at that time. Whereas WWF, there's nothing, there was no, it felt like just, well, we'll do this episode. We'll do this episode. And and there's nothing on the line except for two guys at that time, Bret Hart, who felt, Mm -hmm. and and the other thing, the other thing was 
nothing felt cool at this time except for Bret Hart right. was cool in just like a tough guy way. Uh, and Bret always was just infatuated with that title. So there was a stake on the line there. Shawn Michaels stirred emotion, whether it was good emotion or bad mo- emotion. Yeah. He stirred emotion. Razor was cool, but even Razor, compared to Scott Hall and WCW, when he's now taking over WCW, there wasn't stakes on the line for Razor. It just felt like they were just, I don't know why, but they just kind of left them in that mid-card situation. They didn't really escalate him up. But other than that, even with Diesel, that's why Diesel's run as champion felt so flat. There just felt like there was no urgency to anything. There was nothing on the line. And then you're finally, finally, finally here at the end of 95, starting to get there. You got Diesel going tweener. You know, you got Brett back as champion. Uh, you're putting some glory on that title. The Sean drama, whether it's good or bad. Of course, the stuff that happened with the Marines and stuff like that, that was bad drama. But now you, now you can play off that and use a real-life yeah. scenario into this. And then they're even starting to introduce grittier characters. You got a guy like Ahmed come in. Even Goldust is a grittier character. I know he's flamboyant. It's it's a crazy, but he's gritty because you know what they're hinting around to, which is something yeah, that's like, yeah. whoa, this is this is risque. And you, pretty soon you're going to have Mr. Austin walking in there and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of my theory on WWF 95. What are your thoughts on on that, Ted? Um yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, that you can start to see, again, that transition period. And like you said there, uh, I hadn't really thought about the stakes part of it. But um, now that you say that, that does make sense, that it feels like it's just almost like they're on autopilot. Yeah. That they're just coasting along. But yeah, that that's a good take on that. I like that, that there wasn't any stakes there. Mm-hmm. Where, where meanwhile, as it feels chaotic in WCW in a good way at this point. Yes. You know, definitely with the dungeon of doom, there's always chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's difference in it too. Like you're, you're, you're got the cruiserweights coming in. You got Benoit's Malenko's Guerrero's, all that stuff. You got, you know, just everybody's something different, you know, there's some crazy stuff, but there's, there's actually some good stuff too. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, but that's kind of the epiphany I had when I was watching this because we finally got something that got you invested with this whole Sean and Diesel stuff going. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So from there, we'll go on to, uh, or I should say, any further thoughts on that, Ra, or you, you have no. what we talked about? Okay. I like to, yeah. Because uh, now All it's right. like, okay, I want to see what happens next week. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make you tune into it now because of this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to Nitro. And as we said, Nitro's been on a bit of a roll, of course. They, um, they're they really kind of, although at this point they're not taking over in the ratings battle, they're kind of kicking the teeth of WWF a little bit. They're like that that annoying dog that's, that's uh, uh, bothering the big dog at this point. And um, they had just come off of Halloween Havoc. Interesting pay-per-view, but certainly one that's in the memory banks for sure. And they're getting on the road to World War III and the big uh, 60-man battle, three-ring battle royal that's going to happen. So, uh, again, what I enjoy about WCW at this point is it feels a bit darker, a bit grittier, is a bit more chaotic. It just seems like there's a lot going on. There's some foolishness, but there's also some good stuff. Uh, Before we get into the show... Going back in your memory banks to WCW, what was your feeling about it at this time period in 95? Uh, well, you know, it was definitely trying to, again, we're getting into this because you've got um, Hogan in this transition period. You know, he's he's 
starting to get booed a little bit. He's wearing some of the black. He's shaving the mustache, you know, and then you got the wild card of Macho Man. What's he going to do? We've still got the the great baby face surfer sting. Uh, then you got all these bad guys in the Dungeon of Doom. So it's like, again, just trying to figure out where everybody fits in. Uh, and then my hopes at the time, because you could see, and as time goes forward, was a resurgence of the horsemen, you know. Yes. Uh, but then as time went on, it didn't do, uh, you know, as good as I was hoping it would as it kept going. Uh, and then one thing I do remember, uh, cause I'd forgot about it really how much it annoyed me. Uh, Mongo's dog. Yes. Uh, <laughs> why do you have a dog out there? Just don't, just don't, don't even do it. That and him calling everybody darling <laughs> for some reason yeah. that bothered me too. Yeah. But, uh, one thing WCW did right, right off the get-go on this episode, of course, we've got the main event is going to be Hulk Hogan versus Sting. Now, we're, we're of course, everybody thinks that Starcade 97 was the only time that these guys fought, but no, no, no. no. We got, you know, pre-Hollywood Hulk Hogan, not even red and yellow Hulk Hogan. It's just Phantom of the Opera Hulk Hogan against yeah. uh, red and yellow Sting in the main event going on. But uh, one of my favorite parts about this, this uh, series that we're doing is is uh, Jay, him realizing, oh, wow, Surfer Sting, who I always thought I didn't like him, I liked Crow Sting, is actually pretty awesome as a babyface. You realize how good a worker yeah. he was. Seeing DDP in the in the uh, beginning stages of his career. Yeah. A, guy, a guy like Mark Mero as Johnny B. Bad and how good he was at that mm-hmm. time and all this stuff. It really, it's, it's interesting. I love that fact that Jay's getting his eyes open to this because he wasn't watching this at the time. So it's, it's pretty cool that he's seen this. But... Yeah, so we have a big fight feel to the night right off the get-go, which is what you want in a in a television show. And then we jump right into, from there, Scott Norton versus Shark, and which yeah. has started to become a guilty pleasure of mine, I'm going to be honest, because although this was a quick match, I was impressed, like there was an impressive belly-to-belly by Shark on, um, yeah. on Scott Norton. And then, of course, seeing Norton slam and John Tenta is never going to get old to me, because he just... Man, he just powered him up and just took him over. And honestly, I like this version. Take away all the silly paint and the, the shark stuff, but I like this version of Tenta better than the earthquake stuff because I think it's just because he's yeah. got long pants and full gear on. It looks a bit better on him. But yeah, any thoughts on this match at all? Or uh, Remembering back now on the early Scott Norton because he was getting cheered and it was like, Maybe because, you know, at as we progress in the next few years and as you're doing this and as everybody joins the NWO, everybody, you know, it was like, couldn't maybe we have focused on building Norton up more as a baby face, too, because with his agility and strength and size, he could have actually been one of those to me that would have been better to stay on WCW to go against Diesel and Hogan instead yeah. of just joining them because yeah. he was like, you know, he's very impressive in the ring. So it's like, yeah. you know, do we have to bring him over? So, and that was just another one of those what if scenarios I was thinking was, you know, maybe what if him and when DDP hit his peak were together and maybe he was helping Crow's thing and fighting yeah. the NWO to have that because, you know, at the very beginning they took the giant as soon as they could. So it was like, 
who else left is there that's a big form formidable opponent that isn't yep. managed by Kevin Sullivan that can stand against him. That's right. Yep. Totally agree with that. Like they, they could have easily used him a lot better than they did instead of being henchman number 40 in the NWO Hollywood version or whatever it was. Yeah. All right. From there, we went to a, a, an interview with uh, with Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan with Mean Gene. Nothing really right home about this. Your typical stuff. Hogan, oh, you know, we're going to get you. Kevin Sullivan doing the eye rolls and stuff like that. Mean Gene calling them pieces of garbage like he's a tough guy and stuff like that. Anyway, it's just typical Dungeon of Doom stuff. We, we are littered with Dungeon of Doom over this episode. From there, we go to what we thought was going to be Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair, which I was pretty pumped for to see this match. But it's uh, Ric Flair's surrogate, as in Brian Pillman, newly um, made, minted four horseman member Brian Pillman. Uh, we get going with this whole thing with Disco Inferno dancing at the top of stage. What do you think of Disco getting yeah. himself over at this time period? Uh, he, uh, what's it JR says? You got to maximize your minutes. That's, and that's right. what he was trying to do. He completely was. Yeah. I, I I always get a kick out of how much grief Disco takes in this day and age because he, you know they don't like the fact that he gets down on some of the stuff from today. But the guy knew how to get himself over. He he lasted yeah. during the uh, in the uh, the Monday Night War, so he did pretty good. But then uh, you know you got Eddie chasing him away, and then there we go. We got what a great matchup actually, Eddie versus Pillman, and I, you know they're really building Eddie up, and you can see why. Like I mean Eddie's work is just amazing. It's on another level compared yeah. to some of these guys. His dive from the top rope to the floor is insane. His frog splash yeah. is insane. Uh, but but Pillman did a great job of being just a dirty old heel, too. It was just unfortunate that the horseman didn't come out on top on this one, right? Well, yeah, and and that was the thing. I've actually been back. Uh, I'm, I'm going back right now watching WCW 92, late 91, 92, because uh, I want to go back and see the Dangerous Alliance again. Yep. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, those, and I just recently watched, um, I think it was one of the Super Brawls, you know, Babyface Pillman against uh, Juice and Thunder Liger. Yes. And, you know, just seeing him and even him transform. And it was okay. You know, that was the thing. Um, they're building Eddie. And that was always the good thing about the horseman. You know, Flair said it, Arn said it on there. And he was probably instilling it to him backstage. Sell, make the other guy look good, get some of your stuff in. And if you're a horseman, we can get you some credibility. And next week, people will forget about it. Yeah. They won't even remember the law. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm that, that was okay. Uh, I, I, but I just was really impressed with the match. And like yes. I said, Eddie was just, uh, but I do agree with you. I think you said it on one of the uh, maybe one of the first episodes after y'all started this wrestling with the war about uh, not so keen on the little singlet thing he's wearing yeah. there, but uh, yeah. you know, other than that, he he was looking great, and it was just a, a great match. Cool. So then we go to a, a quick replay of Luger taking out Savage's arm. Uh, of course, Savage has dealing. I think it was. Uh, Maybe a staph infection at that time is what he had going on. He had the nasty goose egg on his elbow that you could see on um, the, the promo they did from Venice Beach. So there was a good excuse to give the Savage a little bit of a rest at this point. Uh, and then from there, we had a, a rematch of Hawk versus Big Bubba Rogers. And uh, very quick match. Hawk gets the win after uh, 
Bubba tries to tape his tape a roll of quarters to his fist. Hacksaw comes out, uh, trips him, and Bubba lands on the roll of quarters. And he actually did <laughs> land on it because he actually cut himself open a little bit uh, the hard way. And um, you got Hawk with the win. I thought, you know, weak match, to be honest. It was just a quick throwaway. But um, two impressive guys in there. I, I still, to this day, love uh, Bubba's punches. But I got something yeah. to ask you as a, a lover of the 80s NWA and stuff like that. We all remember big Bubba Rogers being big Bubba Rogers, you know, a big old guy. Is it me or is it just look unnatural to see uh, Boss Man in, in his Bubba gear? slim and trim and svelte and stuff like that like i feel like if you're going to be big bubba you need to be that big guy or something like that yeah yeah and and that was his whole thing and and he lost some weight there and uh but uh you know he was he was always such a great athlete but this match was uh you know like i said and to me i just um i don't really care to see the road warriors when they're not in a tag team together yeah. You know, it just yeah. looked odd and, and it was what it was. And, but the main thing for this match, even though Hawk won was really to promote the, uh, as wouldn't Bubba and Hacksaw getting ready to have a tape fist match coming up. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. Is, this begins the long saga of Hacksaw pulling the tape out of his trunks and starting to tape up his fist to finish the match with yeah. the loosest, the loosest tape job ever, which does, does absolutely nothing for his punch. So I don't know what the point of that was, but yeah, we're, we're in a, in for that era of Hacksaw Duggan, but yeah, but Bubba was just too clean cut here. I need it. I need a dirty Bubba. That's what I needed. I need yeah. heavy Bubba. That's what, uh, you know, that's, that was a great gimmick. So, but that's all okay. We're going to put that one to the side because we've got a big main event here. We got Sting, the Stinger, Surfer Sting against Hogan. Uh, and uh, Sting comes out right away in the red and yellow. And I'm noticing Sting, he's still growing that hair out, getting rid of that blonde hair. He's going to the dark side, I guess, with his hair. But uh, he is over like Grover with that crowd. They are they were loyal to Sting to, to the dying days in WCW, that's for sure. Um, Hogan, of course, him and Randy Savage are in the dark side of things, the dark side of Venice Beach, if you want to call it. Savage comes out and took an extremely long time to wave Hogan out, which was pretty obvious what was going on there. Hogan's going to sneak through the crowd. I guess Hogan must have got caught up by a few fans because he took forever to come out across that uh, guardrail. And then, as as if it didn't take long enough for that, he decides to take another five minutes to play to the crowd while Sting's looking like an idiot just stand there looking at the the entrance ramp. I felt so bad for Sting there. And, of course, the Phantom of the Opera mask from Hogan. What would you think of that start to the match? Uh, Yeah, it was like, okay, when's it going to get started? Uh, And then the first thing I noticed, and I guess I forgot about this, uh, was uh, Hogan in the cowboy boots. Yes. and I don't know if he was trying to add three inches of height so he could be up there with the giant or what, but it's no wonder he had back problems in those uh, heels. I mean, you know, they were some they were some good old cowboy boots right there now. I don't know if you noticed, but he actually, because they're a smooth cowboy boot, he slipped on the mat a bit trying to go into the yes. corner. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not the wisest move by the Hulkster to wear those boots into the ring. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, Hogan played heel throughout this match with his style, but Hogan's face style is a heel style anyway, so it didn't really matter. Very noticeable, the boos in the crowd for Hulk Hogan yeah. at this point. 
I mean, I know Sting is over and he's their ultimate good guy, but you think he would have had a 50-50 split of the crowd, but no, the crowd was booing Hogan big time. The bloom was off the rose with the Hulkster at this point. You can see why as we're watching this whole debacle with going on with the giant, the Dungeon of Doom. It was really played out and cheesy at this point. Yeah, and, and that was the whole thing. It was like, okay, is he going to turn, you know, is he going to turn heel or is he just going to play this out? And, you know, eventually we know he does. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this point, when you're first watching it and you're watching it live back in the day, you're like, what's going on here? You know, mm-hmm. like I said, you see this and uh, it's like, is he is he going to turn? What's going to happen? But, uh, you know, he was again the again the blurring of the lines the tweener the uh face versus face and stuff like that so it was uh uh as you can tell even with well like you all cataloged on this show uh you know and if anybody hasn't they need to go back in the archives and start with wrestling with the war and just keep up with all this just (laughs) binge listen to it uh But, uh, you know, WCW was pushing the envelope and getting the gritty, getting the dark, getting, like I said, the the different things to make it feel a different way. And you can definitely tell it here. Yeah, for sure. Only other notable things about the match. Impressive power from Hogan when Stinger goes for the Stinger splash in the corner. Hogan catches him uh, in a bear hug style, drags him out to the ring, carries him out and... uh, put the bear hug on the uh on, on sting in the in the middle of the ring so i was impressed to see hogan do that um people forget how big a guy sting was at that time he was up there in height mm-hmm. close to hogan at that point um other than that sting gets hogan in the scorpion uh death lock a couple of times the second time looks like he's going to tap but obviously they're waiting for what everybody knew was going to happen the dungeon of doom yeah. had to come out and they had to spoil this great match you know, you could tell they were holding back this match. They weren't going to give the fans the the full pay-per-view match that they did, but it was an enjoyable match. But then Dungeon Doom comes out, and they're jumping everybody, and, and people forget uh, Sting. They weren't sure whose side he was on at this point. Was he right. Team Luger or whatever? But he finally shows his true colors, and he helps Hogan fight off the giant the Dungeon of Doom. Poor Randy Savage. He comes into the ring with his bad elbow, with a chair helps out Sting and Hogan and stops Giant from choke slamming them, only for him to get choke slammed by the Giant. I felt bad for Savage at that point, but there you go. The the the, the night ends with uh with the Giant being foiled by the the team of Sting and Savage and Hogan, and then comedy at the very end when the uh, Sullivan and Jimmy Hart are up on the uh, announcer's desk and they're strangling Bobby Heenan with the mic yeah. cord and stuff like that. And, Heenan selling it like crazy, but uh, overall thoughts on that main event? Were, were you satisfied with it? It was what you expected, or could have been better? Yeah, it was. It's sort of what I, I expected, uh, especially with the way it'd been going with the Dungeon of Doom. And again, the first thing I thought was um, they're trying episodic TV. They're yeah. trying to get you to come back next week to see. What happened? You know, uh, is Sting going to take revenge? Is Hogan going to take revenge? Are they going to put aside differences and team up and, you know, and all this different stuff? And, uh, in it again, just trying to get the fan somewhere to where they can, you know, tune in next week. And like I said, you know, every now and then, uh, Every now and then, the Dungeon of Doom can be a guilty pleasure, and then every and every now and then, you're like, 
what got into Kevin Sullivan's mind for putting yeah. this together. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So that's it, Ted. That's that's our uh, that's our review of uh, Survivor Series and Raw Nitro. And then, don't forget, folks, that was the go home show for Nitro leading into World War Three. So next week we're going to actually be talking about the World War Three pay per view, uh, and it's going to be another doozy. We're guaranteed a new World Heavyweight Champion uh, champion <laughs> in that match because the belt is on the line in the Battle Royal. Always my favorite way to decide a new champion. <laughs> Uh, but uh, lazy booking, as a Mr. Cornette would say, but uh, it should be interesting. But um, Ted, I really appreciate you joining me. I appreciate you jumping off the bench and, and coming in and helping me out on this one because it was a it was a monster episode. Um, once again, just let people know where they can get a hold of you as far as if they want to reach out and, and talk to you for the Heel Truth. Yeah, uh, the Heel Truth Wrestling Podcast on on the audio platform, and you can email me. Uh, heel truth podcast at gmail.com perfect perfect and may, please folks make sure you go out and check out the heel truth if you're not already uh, i'm sure many of the listeners who listen to this are listening to your podcast with or not it's fantastic and ted loves to give some great insights on the whole heel mindset and of course maybe even yours truly makes an occasional appearance on there too yeah (laughs) but uh i'm gonna leave it at this note because it looks like we're running out of time so the tape machines are rolling ted so thanks a lot we'll catch you next week